Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. A week from today, we'll be talking about Blue Jays baseball. I mean, it'll be well underway. It's a 4 o'clock start. Um, you'll be gone. You'll be in parts unknown. I'll be I'll be grinding it out uh, between 2 and 4 next Thursday, getting you ready for game 1 of 162 as the Blue Jays in St. Louis against the Cardinals and apparently not Adam Wainwright who went on the IL Oops. today. <laughs> he was he was injured uh during the World Baseball Classic but lifting weights at the World Baseball Classic which I don't know how we classify that because you know Edwin Diaz was celebrating uh uh Jose Altuve was hit by a pitch. That's not really fair and like the pitcher thing, yeah, that makes a little sense, but not in a game. I don't think that counts. The Altuve one is the one I think you can most say maybe that doesn't happen with the without the intensity of the World Baseball Classic. The Edwin Diaz thing is a fluke. The Adam Wainwright thing, he would have been working out uh, at his own facility anyway. And I'm sure the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, with the best fans in baseball, also have the, the best weights in baseball. But mm. that's in St. Louis. I don't know what they're spring training complex is like i'm sure it's not as nice as the high performance complex in dunedin where you never get hurt lifting a weight no um the, the mistake adam wainwright made as an older man is he should do what you and i do just not lift yeah, no, weights that's 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 a it's the key that's a key to staying uh perfectly healthy i would say all right the new at the letters has uh uh, looking beyond the results with key members of the Blue Jays rotation and sizing up the ALEs and cutting a promo for Jay Jackson, the 30-plus-year-old uh, uh, reliever who is a non-roster invitee to spring training for the Blue Jays. And one of the hosts of At The Letters joins us right now. It's Arden Swelling. How's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? How are you guys? I'm, I'm all right. Um, yeah, do you lift some You look like you lift some weights. Come on. Of course he does. I do lift some weights. Not, I mean, so I just was lifting weights like this afternoon, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but I only have access to like fifty-pound dumbbells at the uh, the hotel I've been at for the last month. So I am uh, extremely detrained from the loads that I am t- used to moving around. Well, I, I can say that. That's fine. At least you didn't get hurt like Adam Wainwright uh, pumping that iron, right? So you you stayed safe. You stayed healthy, which is all anyone cares about uh, coming out of spring training. Is that Arden? You're coming out of spring training very healthy um, with a lot of bylines and armed with even more to come i'm sure uh what has been kind of your your favorite thing about being down there on and off over the last month so far the best thing about spring training is the access and it's access to everybody on the 40-man roster and all of the prospects we're all in one place every coach every developer it's if you want to talk to the nutritionist from the complex league you can talk to them i mean every single person from the organization is here so when you do a piece you can talk to so many different people and just make it that much more rich with detail uh and also everybody's in a good mood because it's the beginning of the year and nobody's in a slump yet nobody is hurt yet other than adam wainwright uh nobody's lost a game yet so uh, and nobody's burnt out as well from the travel and the grind and the months upon months of endless baseball games. So it is just like the best time for access and for gathering information and doing stories that you feel really good about because it's hard to do like a really in-depth feature kind of off the beaten path thing, uh, you know, in the middle of a, a playoff push or around the trade deadline. Well, Arden, I, I've felt and I, I would have said this before we were colleagues as well. Um, you know, you do a great job with that spring training access. And every year I look forward to, you know, what guy or what 
unheralded skill or, or what breakthrough offseason development is Arden going to uncover for us? And, and I remember distinctly talking to you around this time last year and being like, Arden, like who, who stood out the most to you or, or what's the thing that we're going to be talking about later in the season that no one's talking about yet? And at that time, your answer was Adrian Hernandez's changeup, which, you know, it, it looks like Adrian Hernandez has had a rough spring, but there was like two months where every day on Jay's Talk Plus, I was getting questions about when is Adrian Hernandez coming up? I want to see that screwball changeup. Um, the big one that you, you've written while you're down there. I'm sure you have lots more in the tank, but um, the, the Rainer Nunez piece was fascinating. You can go to sportsnet.ca and check that out. He's a six foot four, 240 pound uh, first baseman. He hasn't, he's only had a, a cup of coffee uh, at the, you know, mid levels of the minors. I think he got as high as high a last year for a couple games. He takes an opposite field, Garrett Cole pitch uh, or takes a Garrett Cole pitch rather opposite field for 114 uh, mile an hour walk off home run. Um, I guess before we get into the Rainer specifics, when you're down there, and and I apologize if this is a little too inside baseball media, but when you're down there, what is the process like for you having these conversations and deciding, you know what? Rainer Nunez is a guy I'm curious about. I'm going to dig in a little bit more. Is it just like you're standing there and you see like a ridiculous batting practice session from him one day, and you're like, man, I got to dig in and find out more about this guy? Well, I had actually heard about him prior to camp, just from some background conversations about like who might be sleepers in the minor leagues this year and who to keep an eye on. Like who's kind of been turning heads over the off season with their work and what they've done. And he uh, actually like had this big breakout in the the, uh, the winter league in the Dominican winter league last year, where he led like Ladome in home runs. He went to the winter league for two weeks. So Blue Jays want him to work on some uh, some swing decisions and refinements to his approach. And then his team down there was like, no, nah, this guy can't leave. Like he's not allowed to go. <laughs> And he ended up staying through the entire season, leading the league in home runs and winning its Rookie of the Year award. So, like, at that point, I was hearing about him and having some background conversations about him and then got to camp this spring. And he wasn't actually in big league camp at the beginning, but then Vladdy had his knee issue. Brandon Belt was building up kind of deliberately. So, Reina Nunez was kind of getting in at the end of games a lot. And the first time I actually saw him was when I was working the sideline on on the broadcast because he was one of those minor leaguers just kicking around waiting to enter the game. And I said, oh, this guy is a tight end in the NFL because he is just mass. Like, he is just a mountain of a man. Uh, And then I was like, oh, that's Reina Nunez. He's enormous. And then just being around camp, you know, I I get to talk to some people who scouted him when he was 16. I get to talk to people who've been working with him in the back cages and developers and then just people who know him really well and get to really learn the backstory which is super cool so i know that's the process to answer your question yeah i would suggest that he works on a different position because that that one feels like uh, it's going to be locked up uh yeah how many six foot four 240 pound guys who are still growing do you see like roaming left field like I don't know that there's another position for him, Ben. Yeah, well, then that that's going to be a tough one, Arden, to, to see him at the major league level, unless, you know, Blue Jays don't sign Vlad long-term. But, yeah, I, I, yeah that's uh, that's all well and good. I have also seen him on the leaderboard amongst the, the, the highest average exit velocity in spring training. Like, what what has what we've seen here in this month done to his projection for this upcoming year and maybe just, like, franchise long-term? Yeah, I mean, he has the hardest hit ball in Blue Jays' spring training this uh, this camp, which is, like, higher than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You look at, like, the longer-term 
results in terms of exit velos. I mean, he hits it as just like uh, the hardest hit balls in the system this side of lap, which is saying something. I mean, he's hit a ball in camp, as Blake said, that was 114. Only 42 big leaguers hit a ball that hard last year. So it's elite exit velocity. It is absolutely exceptional raw power. The thing is, he swings at everything. Yes. Uh, and when he hits it, it goes a really long way. And it, is, uh, it just explodes off of his bat. But the swing decisions took a step in the wrong direction last year. It's something the Blue Jays have challenged him to work on. There was a point earlier in his minor league career where he was like, walk to strikeout. And the Blue Jays were really impressed with the approach. And then took a, a step back last year. And that's something that he's been working hard on. So that's going to be his challenge going forward it's funny that you mentioned the position with him he was drafted as a shortstop because mm-hmm. obviously they all start <laughs> yeah. as shortstops uh but at the time he was like six feet tall and like 150 160 pounds he's now six four, two forty. so he's just grown out of the position but the thing is if you hit the way that he hits if you have the kind of raw power that he has they'll find a way to get you to the big leagues because it really is exceptional so you're saying that uh, we're going to see Rainer Nunez and Aralvis Martinez back-to-back in the New Hampshire uh, batting order, and it's going to be the biggest hit-or-miss 3-4 uh, or 4-5 four, four, in the history of minor league baseball. Um, what What is the plan for, for him? And um, I, I'll throw Aralvis in there as well just because he's a guy that has uh, similar strengths and weaknesses at, at this point at the plate. Um, the Jays pushed Aralvis pretty quickly. Rainer Nunez is a guy who, because of the early signing age, is already going to be rule five eligible at the end of this year. Uh, do you see them continuing to be uh, aggressive with guys of this type and, you know, believing that swing decisions are something that you don't really have a choice, but to work on um, at, at the highest levels that, that you're ready for. Yeah. It's a similar situation with the relevance where, yeah, a ton of pop, but the swing decisions took a really bad step last year. Uh, when it comes to Nunez, he's going to start at Vancouver, I okay. believe, but he can make his way up to, to double a, Aurelvis is for sure going back to double A and he's repeating there. And from the people that I've talked to, like he actually has a really positive outlook on it, but he actually has something to prove because he's aware of how things went last year. He got to a point towards the end of the season where he wasn't seeing fastballs because the book was out on him. Everybody yeah. knew what he was trying to do at the plate and everybody knew about the power that he had. So he was like that rare guy at double A who saw more breaking balls than heaters. So he spent the offseason working on swing decisions, working on his approach and his discipline. And look, the Blue Jays challenged the hell out of him last year. He was only 20 yep. when they sent him to AA. It was super, super aggressive. They thought at the time that he was ready for it, and clearly the power was. But I think the plate approach clearly was not. Um, but like with some of that pressure off of him, this year, uh, with a, a just a, an off-season to sort of settle in and, and look back on what happened and talk to Blue Jays developers about how he can get better going forward, I know there is some optimism that, that he can do better repeating the level next year. He is still so young, and there is precedent with very young players at AA like, struggling initially. I think Francisco Lindor had a really tough time at 20 at AA and then went back and repeated it and, and tore it up. So I think the Blue Jays are, are hopeful that he can have a much better season. All right, Arden, we, we have some stuff for you on, guys, we'll actually see at the Major League level this year. But before we do that, I, I know Rainer Nunez uh, is in the mix there. I know, I know you've written some and, and podcasted some about um, J.J. Jackson, Bowden Francis, some interesting names. But uh, all that aside, this is my favorite question to ask you every single year. 
under the radar sleepers in the system that you've seen down in Dunedin. Is there anyone you haven't really tipped your hand on about yet? Ooh, I mean, Jay Jackson is the guy for me, okay. honestly. Like, I want, to, I want to do the prospect thing, right? Like, TJ Brock is a name that I think we're going to hear a lot this year. I think he could break out. I think Sam Robertsa is going to be the double-A starter that we're talking about at the beginning of the year, not Ricky Tiedemann. I think Sam Robertsa is that guy. Uh, I think that um, Zach Britton is going to knock on the MLB door this year. But it's funny. It's To me, it's the guy who's as far in the opposite direction. <laughs> Jay Jackson, like one one of the oldest guys in Kent. He's the 35-year-old right-handed reliever journeyman. This yeah. is going to be his ninth MLB organization, pitched in Japan, pitched in Mexico. He's been all over. But as somebody put it to me very plainly the other day, he is a big league reliever. If he was in camp with the Los Angeles Angels or the Oakland Athletics, he is in their opening day bullpen. He is projected for more wins above replacement and a lower ERA than any reliever on those two rosters. <laughs> like This is a guy who should be in the big leagues. He had a half dozen offers this offseason as soon as free agency opened to go to other teams. And he chose to come to Toronto on a minor league deal because he's ring chasing. He's 35. Like he's he's 35, and he's still two years of service away from being arbitration eligible. You know, like this is not a guy who's worried about like needing to be in the big leagues right now. He has confidence that he's going to pitch his way there. He's like a 65 percent slider guy. It's one of those bullet sliders that has tons of gyro spin. It's like 85 to 86, and he spans it, throws it all the time. And his secondary pitch is like a mid 90s fastball with hop. He was up to 96 against the Tigers the other day. Like, it's, it's crazy that he's even here in this camp, but he is a guy who just, like, wants to win a championship at this point in his career. He's done it all. Like I said, he's been in eight MLB organizations. He's faced Shohei Otani in the Japan Series. He's pitched in Caribbean Series. He's been all over. And the last two years, like, the numbers are really strong. He's had, uh, what, he had a hamstring issue and a lat issue, but when he's been healthy the last two years, it's a 121 ERA plus in the big leagues, huge strikeout rate, like a 38% strikeout rate in triple with a super low ERA, he's a big leaguer. And I think he's a guy who we're going to look up in August and we're going to be like, oh, he's this year's David Phelps. He has like 30 appearances and we didn't even talk about him in spring training. Yeah, no, you've sold me. Like I'm, I'm all aboard Jay Jackson um, being a part of this Blue Jays bullpen, but that maybe leads us into like, what, what do you do with Mitch White, right? So he, he pitches in the minor league spring training game yesterday. I mean, you could, I guess, stash him on the IL, but he threw almost 50 pitches. You don't need him to be a starter out of the gate. Like, are they going to slow play this to open up a, a bullpen spot to keep him on the IL? Is that, and then, like, option a, a guy, one of the few that is optionable, like a, a Zach Pop, to, to, to fit a guy like Jay Jackson in? Well, the answer to the first question about Mitch White starting the year on the IL is very likely yes. Uh, he was up around 40 pitches in a minor league game on Wednesday and really good first inning, up to 94, struck out the side. But I think the stuff degraded a little bit as he went on, so the Blue Jays want to give him a chance to just repeat what he did in uh, in that outing. Like Again, uh, 40 pitches, a couple up-downs, and just see if he can maintain the stuff a bit more. He's like still so early in his progression because he was so behind with that shoulder impingement, so... I just the next outing will be in a big league game and we'll get a much better look at him and some of the data and metrics uh, and, and objective stuff. But 
I do think the Mitch White likely starts the year on the IL, and that opens a spot. The thing with Jay Jackson, like I said, he's here to win, so he might be okay with starting the year at AAA. Honestly, I think he would be start okay starting the year in Buffalo and fighting his way up later. He did the same thing last year with Atlanta and two years ago with San Francisco, and two really tough bullpens, two championship caliber teams as well. So I think he would be fine with that. The name that I'm looking at for that final spot in the bullpen, you mentioned it, Zach Pop. Somebody said to me the other day, the Blue Jays, they think they are this close to turning him into their clay holds. There was an appearance yesterday for Pop that was huge. The Blue Jays challenged him, brought him into a game with two out, a one-run lead versus a lefty. And a massive thing for Pop this spring has been sliders and two-seamers front hips to lefties because they want to get him on both sides of the plate. They want him to be usable against both sides of the platoon and what does he do in that scenario he locates two like amazing 97 mile per hour sinkers outside both of them fouled off and then comes back with that 96 mile an hour like front hip lefty against uh the inside corner picks it walks off the mound called strike three that was huge the blue jays were super encouraged with that massive development for him and i think the blue jays are really happy with where he's at right now well i'm really happy to hear that because that was uh my read on him when they acquired him was like yeah i think there's enough there with the slider that you could turn him into a two-pitch pitcher instead of just uh you know the pure sinker ball or not that having a 96 mile an hour sinker is uh is a bad thing to to start with but that's encouraging to hear um Arden, I know over the course of the year, we're going to see a ton of different guys in the bullpen, right? And I know you've written about Bowden Francis and Zach Thompson as well. Um, But it does get interesting to me if it hits a point where Mitch White needs to be activated and Zach pops pitching well and you're down to some guys uh, without options. What have you seen from Trevor Richards in in spring? I know the changeup is elite like some of the stuff metrics grade his changeup is one of the very best in baseball he was one of the better swing and miss guys in the, in the jays bullpen last year but he's a guy who including in spring this year for as much as we care the results haven't really followed uh, where is trevor richards right now i think that where he is is fastball change up and not in that order it's actually change up fastball and putting away the breaking ball if you look at the way he pitched Last season, it was like 45% fastball, 40% changeup, and then like 15, 20% curveball. The breaking ball is gone. He hasn't thrown it at all this spring, and Blue Jays aren't saying it, but I would be surprised if he threw it at all this year. He's actually been primarily changeup this spring while moving his fastball around the zone, whereas last year he was very much up with the fastball and down with the changeup. But I think he got a little bit predictable, much in the way that Kevin Gosman got last year and I think the Blue Jays actually learned a lot from last year with a lot of their pitchers with some of the patterning and how predictable it was with especially like the you know the basses of this world and the Gosmans or the Richards who are just going heat up and off speed down you're going to see guys like that moving around the zone a lot more it's been a real directive to Blue Jays catchers in this camp that you need fastballs down the zone Kevin Gosman's talking about it all the time I think it's going to be a case for Trevor Richards you can see him moving that fastball around the zone a lot more and using that change up as his primary pitch in like a Devin Williams kind of way. The Blue Jays think that'll help him unlock something and, and avoid some of the predictability that led to a lot of his damage last year. And particularly that curveball, like it just did not play well for him uh, against big league getters. And it looks like that has been shelved. So those, that's what he's been working on this spring. He's gotten a ton of swing and miss. Obviously, he needs transferred into the regular season 
but uh, we'll, we'll see just what kind of what kind of leverage he faces out of the gate. He's not possession to face a ton of it, and then how his stuff sort of plays against those hitters that he's deployed against. Yeah, turning Trevor Richards into Devin Williams would be would be good. I like being I'd be in favor of that. Um, how how long? Like if you spend uh, like the better part of a month, a whole month in Florida, at what point do you become a Florida man? Arden? Uh, I think I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with it. If honestly, it's like I was saying to Blake earlier. If the next six months are just spring training, I'd be okay with that. I love covering <laughs> spring training. It's amazing. <laughs> the access is incredible. Every morning, there's an hour in the clubhouse, and it's like me and Dan Schulman are the only people there. And yeah. it's, we walk in, and every there's 40 guys at, at lockers. In the regular season, you can't do this. You've been down there, Ben. You yes. know. You walk into that clubhouse, guys are hiding. There's a ton of media guys are hiding exactly it's spring training everybody's there the access is incredible and you just get to tell really cool stories yeah I, i'm like cool to watch regular season baseball which we will do in a week's time while you in your mind are back in spring training um buddy great job the last month uh, everything that you've done tv side uh on the radio and then yeah obviously uh, the articles you're pumping out at sportsnet.ca thanks for doing this buddy cheers take it easy guys see ya uh arden's welling at the letters boy I mean, he, I, I know he promoted the podcast as cutting a promo for Jay Jackson. Like, <laughs> I, I I bought that hook, line, and sinker, and I'm like, Zach Pop's going to be, we're going to have a one-two Canadian duo at the back of the bullpen thinking Zach Pop is going to be striking people out, shutting them down for Jordan Romano. I, I think, you know, <laughs> it's Trevor Richards is going to turn into Devin Williams. I mean, not all that is going to happen, but that that's some pretty heady praise for a bullpen that is, on paper, like, good. Last year, they were pretty middle of the road. I think, like, pretty much 15th, 16th, 14th in just about every relief metric you can use. Um, but, yeah, that there's some upside with, the. I mean, Pop, especially a, a guy who's young. And Jay yeah. Jackson, not young, but, yeah, some upside there. Yeah, here's the thing. If you use 20 innings of Jay Jackson this year and it helps you bridge a gap, um, it, it helps you just kind of fill in and get you over a hump similar to you know, the one that got away, like Matt Gage gave them 11 good innings last year and no one will ever think of Matt Gage's 11 innings again, I don't think. But like, they helped you through, like all you need out of your depth relievers is come in and don't be a disaster. If Jay Jackson spends a month on this team, contributes, and then he's even in the conversation, like if he's even a September roster expansion call up Mm. and he gives you a couple good things, like every... Every championship team has a lot of those like little tiny contributions on the way to get there because it's so hard to get there. Um, I'm on board and, and I like the two thirds slider, one third fastball profile. He's also he's 35 years old and a journeyman. Like I, I don't. How do you how do you become a ring chaser at 35 and a journeyman and with well, with like you're very limited. Far- you're too far innings. away from even getting to actual free agency anyway, right? So, like, you're never going to get the money. So, unless he pitches until he's 40, he's yeah. not going to be a free agent. So, why not just go for winning situations and get to be a part of that? Well, and beyond that, like, there is money to be made in your after-playing career if you are you're remembered for a championship run in a city. Like, even as, like, a middle-of-the-road the relief, like, somebody who made a postseason roster or pitched in big games down the stretch of a regular season, like, say, Jay Jack, Jackson is a part of this bullpen. The Blue Jays win 100 games and win a World Series, and he returns in 10 years and says, hey, it's Jay Jackson autograph signing day. There'd be some people showing up for that thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, this is the thing. If you win a World Series, everyone matters, right? Like, everyone is a huge part of it, and everyone's remembered, and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what you deal with when you're at that level of a team. So, uh, 
I get it less from the Jay Jackson side of things, but it's great for the Jays. And I don't want to be like, you don't want to be careless with a guy, but a guy who throws that heavy slider or profile, you would, if he was 24 or 25, you'd be a little worried about that being a long-term part of your bullpen. You just use him and yeah, Jay Jackson on. is fine with you using him as much as yeah. you'd like. And guess what? As nice as the bullpen might look right now, depth wise, and you might like guys or dislike, like, Every team is going to use like 12, 13, 15 relievers over the course of the year. It just happens. Yeah. No, there's really no question about it. The 26-man roster that opens up the season probably changed by like, I don't know, the, the, the next series the Blue Jays play after they're done with the Cardinals. All right. When we come back, mentioned yesterday was a pretty cool day down at Scotiabank Arena with the uh, three Canadians starting opposite the Toronto Raptors. Maybe less cool for the Raptors because that team with the three Canadians won. But we'll talk to Michael Bartlett, president and CEO of Canada Basketball. Next, the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. And yesterday at Scotiabank Arena, it was Canada Basketball Day. And the Indiana Pacers uh, were kind enough to oblige by starting three Canadians for the first time in NBA history. Uh, they were not kind to the Raptors because they beat them. But yeah, hell of a game from the uh, three Canadians started by the Indiana Pacers. Let's talk to uh, Michael Bartlett, president and CEO of Basketball Canada. Yeah, that, that must have been a hell of a game for you to uh, have attended yesterday, Michael. Yeah, a smile on the face for sure. Now, listen, I'm a diehard Raptor fan uh, as well, so it's it's tough to watch that uh, outcome. But, you know, with my Canada basketball hat on, a uh, really proud moment for the program and, and for the country. And it's really been Canada basketball week and a half with all the uh, Canadians coming through with their pro teams the last little bit. Well, I said the exact same thing last week. Jamal Murray's here, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's here. Even I'm down at the uh, down at the arena, obviously a fixture of Canada basketball as well. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And as part of that, Michael, um, a couple of Canada basketball news items, including Canada basketball and Sportsnet announcing yesterday that Global Jam will be back once again this year, the second iteration of it, July 12th to 16th in Toronto, broadcast on Sportsnet channels, uh, down at, at Madame Athletic Center. Uh, the women's tournament, which is, uh, again, under 23, five-on-five, will include Canada, the U.S., Puerto Rico, and an African continent team. The men's side, under 23, will include Canada, the United States, Germany, and an African continent team. Um, how excited are you to for to be running Golden Global Jam? Geez, sorry. Uh, to be running Global Jam back a second year. And, uh, you know, what's new, what's different this time around? Well, yes, yeah, we are excited. Um, you know, we built this property with Sportsnet with a few objectives. One of them is is really to have more basketball played and hosted on home soil. And and if that meant we had to create some of it, that was fine. And you know, we know Canadians want to consume more basketball. They want more live events. They want to watch it more on television and, and on a streaming channels. So this event creates that opportunity but you know just as importantly and perhaps even more importantly for our players the chances for them to play on home soil in front of their friends and family like even last night uh, with the three young men on the Pacers coming through to town I think they had upwards of 500 friends and family at the game Uh, our Canadian players have not had enough opportunity to play in front of friends and family at home so Global Gen is built with that in mind too and you know ultimately 
we're developing this talent too. We, we need to find more opportunities for our under 23 talent to play because in FIBA basketball, you age out at 19 and then you join the senior team ranks. Well, we've got such a lineup of talent on the senior team ranks. There's a lot of 21, 22, 23 year old athletes that aren't going to be playing for our uh, organization for, you know, three, four year period. So we've created global jam as well to one, give them a chance to develop and play for the, the Maple Leaf, but two, to give our fans a chance to see them and get to know them and, and start to cheer for them. The names that you're seeing have great NCAA tournaments this year. Uh, Ryan Nemhard, Aliyah Edwards, they were absolute standouts in Global Gem last year. They'll be standouts in Global Gem again this year. And this is a way for us to introduce these amazing Canadian athletes to Canadian fans. Yeah, where do you see this thing going uh, eventually? Like, it, it, it's great that it's coming back a, a second year in a row. Like, what what is the ultimate outcome? Like, where do you, where do you want this this event, this tournament, to be um, as far as being ingrained and in maybe the psyche of Canadian basketball fans? Yeah, well, you know, from a basketball perspective, I'd, I'd love it to become Summer League North. You know, we know the NBA runs Summer League down in Las Vegas. We'd love Global Gym to be the the Canadian version um, and maybe the next gen Canadian version. So while summer league down in Vegas is comprised of, you know, recently drafted future NBAers, we want this to be maybe the, the baton before that step. You know, if we could turn this into something as well, that moves across the country, because there are so many markets in Canada that are basketball um, passionate markets. And it's not just about, hosting this in Toronto over time. We'd love to see this move to Victoria and Edmonton and uh, Montreal and Halifax. And I think we'll, we'll probably ride out Toronto for a, a few more years, just, you know, obviously working with Sportsnet, it's, uh, it's the epicenter for us to produce an event like this. But ultimately, I'd love to see this move across Canada because then we can also curate some really interesting regional stories because we're seeing these athletes come not just from the gta anymore into ncaa and then eventually WNBA or nba markets they're coming from across canada because the talent's everywhere so in addition to or this global jam announcement kind of came on the heels of a larger announcement off the court the other day that sun life is going to be an official major partner of canada basketball moving forward and i know you know from a fan perspective maybe that just means the the logo on the jersey but big picture i know your background is in developing and fostering those relationships between corporate partners and sports and before that non-sports as well how important are things like that to when we we think about the excellence that we want the programs to achieve and maintain um, having those kind of things in place to make sure that uh, the infrastructure is there. Like how big a deal is that beyond having a name on a Jersey? Well, it's, it's essential. And the reality like sport is sport, but it takes money to be competitive in sport. And, you know, if I learned any lesson from my time with MLSC, you have to invest in competitive advantages and without them, you have excuses. Our program has all the talent in the world, but we need more money at the end of the day to invest in the advantages that will put us over the top so that we remove any excuse and it just comes down to talent. If we just come down to talent, our program's set. You know, we'll win more than we lose. So what are some of those excuses in the past? They, you know, maybe our training camps weren't long enough. Maybe we couldn't travel for a scrimmage game so that we'd have high-level competition before, you know, walking into a tournament. We didn't have enough coaches in the system, pro coaches in the system. So for the last 12 to 24 months, we've been investing heavily 
in those competitive advantages. And you're seeing it pay off. The women go to the World Cup, finish fourth highest finish, you know, in 32 years. The men go 11-1 and one in qualifying to move on to the World Cup this summer. That takes competitive advantage, which means it takes investments. And a partner like Sun Life gets that. Um, I also did the math just the other day. Um, I think Sun Life joined the Raptors jersey 18 months before they won the championship. And I think the <laughs> Paris Olympics is about 18 months away. So I'm, I'm good oh, with crap. that. Too. Wow. <laughs> well, there you go. Good timing uh, on your part there. You mentioned things like being able to travel for additional exhibition games. And um, that's huge. If we look at the history, uh, I, I know a lot of people sometimes question, well, there's all this NBA talent and, and it feels like we've had the football pulled out from under us a couple of times with respect to turning all this Canadian basketball talent into success at the international level, at least on the men's side of things. Now, part of that is there, there are things we can't control, like a pandemic hitting and the Olympic qualifying tournament that Canada basketball put into host, not really having full crowds and a ramp up and all those things. Um, but one of them has been, yeah, this program hasn't always had uh, a ton of ramp up to these big events and it is harder to get NBA players to commit the longer the the road is and the more that's being asked of them and things like that. However, it certainly looks like you guys have a good ramp up for this summer's FIBA World Cup where you guys will be playing in Jakarta, Indonesia for the pool stage. Um, You guys have quite a, a ramp up planned and I know you'll be in Germany for a couple games in the middle of August and then Spain for a couple of games in the middle of August. Um, what is that ramp up going to look like are we going to see even more games than that like what is your what is your ideal outcome for the weeks leading up to august 25th when canada tips off at the world cup well that you know it's a great question that was a promise to our players too and we uh, took this core continuity and consistency approach and asked these these nba athletes to commit to our program we also asked them what do you want and they said, we want more games, you know, practice. You know, we can all joke practice. We're talking about <laughs> practice, but they practice all season. And then in the summer, they don't necessarily want three weeks of practice leading into a competition. They want to play games. So that's a promise that we made them. That's a real commitment by Nick nurse, uh, our coach to say, this is something we have to deliver. So yeah, we're, we're heading to Germany. You know, we'll train in Toronto early August. We'll head to Germany. We've got at least, um, two if not three games that we'll be playing um as part of a tournament and maybe you know one closed door scrimmage there as well we're going to head down to spain uh we were slated to play spain and argentina argentina then didn't qualify for the world cup so they're looking to replace argentina right now and i think we're going to draw uh, dominican republic into that uh set of games and then we're heading to jakarta a bit early and we'll pick up probably at least one more closed door uh, scrimmage game when we're on the ground there. This is all part of uh, the evolution of the program, making sure that you know we get a lot of time uh, and actually we'll, we'll carry heavy before we make our final cuts. We'll probably carry 16 uh, men with us through Europe before we have to make the final cuts heading into Jakarta because this gives us a chance, like you would in a pro environment, to have a real training camp and an exhibition um, season before you know, the regular season tips off. And for us, that regular season tips off at the World Cup August 25th, but we're going to treat the three weeks prior uh, like an NBA preseason. Well, and, and and we're all hoping that the absolute top of the talent pool uh, of Canadians in the NBA are there, specifically Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Like, how confident are you? And I know you don't want to speak to specifics, but like, how confident are you that the, that Canada will be uh, fielding its its most representative group? 
I, I will speak to specifics. I'm very confident. I think that the the gentleman that we have, um, you know, indicated as part of our core, there's no wavering from that. Um, they are all in. You're hearing it every time they come through Toronto and are interviewed, you know, on your network by, by Michael, um, you know, about their excitement for the summer. In some cases, they're not even waiting for the question. They're just talking about their excitement for the summer. So, you know, we're, we're quite confident that the program commitments that we've asked of them, but also the promises that we've made to them in return are going to turn into a roster that is going to be potentially a world beater, like the, the way that we think we should with the talent that we have. And, and then you combine that with a Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse coaching system and all the support that we get from the Raptors organization with so many staff from their organization being a part of that operation on the court. Um, We've got a real opportunity to do something special. And the expectation, metal or not, you know, I know you got to get into FIBA calculus here, but uh, (laughs) metal or not, uh, the expectation is we need to go to the World Cup and qualify for the Olympics out of the World Cup. No more last-minute qualifying stuff ever again. We've got too much talent to allow that. Yeah, and too, it's too much randomness, and I don't, I don't think I personally need to go through what I went through in 2026 and 2021 or uh, 2018 again. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I would really appreciate you guys qualifying before that. Um, so the World Cup is a qualifier for the Olympics. That's just part of the cycle, part of the way things work in the FIBA four-year calendar. But for a lot of countries outside of Canada and the United States, I'm thinking particularly the European countries, but also some of the, the South American countries, um, the World Cup is like the biggest event on the four-year schedule. It's the largest tournament. It's the hardest to win. It's the longest qualification procedure. Um, how do you feel about the World Cup versus the Olympics? Are they kind of hand-in-hand hand for you? Because I do think some Canada basketball fans, you know, even if Canada had this this really good showing in the World Cup, the Olympics is how they'll measure it. But that's not necessarily how the rest of the world measures it. Yeah, I think that's a North American thing, to be quite honest. I think you're right. Um, whether it's USA or Canada, I think we view the Olympics as the pinnacle. And maybe that's because our, when you think about it, back in 92, the dream team entering the Olympics was the moment, right? I, I, I had the Sega Genesis dream team video game. Like I was all in on basketball being a part of the Olympics from the minute that the Jordan magic took the floor. So I think in our headspace in North America, that's kind of why maybe the Olympics has an advantage in Europe. It's different and that's fine. Uh, we know this would be the toughest basketball tournament we've ever walked into. And I think we expect the Olympics one to be even tougher, but um, the World Cup is going to be with all the global talent playing in the NBA and all of that talent and dispersing to their European and South American countries for the World Cup. It will be the best basketball that Canada has ever watched on television and, you know, shameless plug here on Sportsnet. Yeah. And it's going to be a great opportunity in the summer. Like I, I talk to our staff all the time. You know, yes, the Jays will be playing, but they'll be in game 135. There's no in, or there's no other NBA. There's no other NHL distraction. NFL hasn't started yet. We can be the story of the country for a period of time if we go do our job. Uh, fingers crossed, Michael. Uh, can't wait to watch you guys. Can't wait for a Global Jam uh, as well that starts, uh, again, July 12th, uh, runs through the 16th this summer. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Michael Bartlett. President and CEO of Canada Basketball. I'm about to ask you a complicated question. 
What does Canada have to do at the World Cup to qualify for the Olympics? Not that complicated. Uh, you have to finish in the top two among America's teams. So your actual position doesn't really matter. If you finish third and two America's teams are ahead of you, U.S. and Venezuela finish one, two, you finish third, you got to go through the last chance qualifier. You finish 17th, but nobody else in, from the Americas finishes higher, you're you're going. And they'll play placement games, so every team gets placed 1 to 32. Um, like, if you get knocked out, too bad. You're playing these placement games, and as much as it could suck to play in the consolation knockout stage after not making it out of the group stage, uh, if only one Americas team makes it out of the group stage, those matter. The, your placement 1 to 32 will matter. So just... Be one of the top two America's teams. And the best way to do that is just get out of the group stage and then keep kicking some butt. There's no reason this Canada team that we're, even if it's roughly what we're expecting, um, and and we're also expecting one of probably Australia or Spain to draw into Canada's group. Mm -hmm. Canada would be the two seed in their own group. Um, That draws on April 29th. We'll, We'll know for sure then. But Canada will be favored to to get out of the group they'll be one of the two teams people are expecting to get out and anything less than that will be a, a pretty big disappointment will they be favored to finish is it like behind the americans because the americans no matter who shows up it'll be somebody uh pretty significant I'm, I'm i'm thinking the americans also get the silly thing of uh philippines are technically the the one seed uh, in on their side of things as, as a host team where canada is playing in uh indonesia who don't have a team in the tournament in their initial group stage so the the group imbalance will will have a, a factor there but no there's no reason to think that Canada can't finish first among America's teams. Um, Venezuela is going to have something to say about that. Brazil always does. Uh, Dominican Republic. Like There are a lot of good teams from the Americas, which is why it's been such a difficult process to get to the World Cup and get to the Olympics from there. Um, but like Canada would be favored against like all else equal and let's assume like a reasonable but not perfect turnout for the Canada roster they would be favored against every America's team except the United States yeah let's let's get like a real significant moment for this golden generation of of Canadian basketball players like can we have that like we can is that too much to ask for instead of like bitter disappointment and Mm -hmm. like heartbreaking moments well the worst thing about World Cup disappointment too (laughs) is that you know and it's not always the World Cup because in 2015 it was in the America's tournament where Uh, the heartbreak happened and then because of where the program was you could still I didn't feel this way, but you could you could have gotten yourself to, oh, well, they blew it against Venezuela and they didn't get the automatic thing, but look at how good they looked and they mm. were in control most of the tournament. They should get out of an Olympic qualifier and then or a last chance qualifier. And then I'm in Las Vegas in the summer of 2016 for Summer League and staying up until like three in the morning Vegas time to watch these games in the Philippines. And they draw into a group with France mm. because France also didn't qualify for the Olympics through the World Cup process and, and the Eurobasket process. And that sucked. And then it, the way it happened with the last World Cup where, yeah, they drew the group of death, but they also underperformed and they got less turnout than they expected in 2019. Uh, and then so you have to go to the Olympic qualifier again. It's uh, yeah. How'd that go? It's uh, not great. So, again, <laughs> Thomas Sadoransky, wasn't he? They, they, yes. they put us in a body bag. So we're at the point where it's not only that if the bad thing happens, it happens. You also know that it means the next bad thing is going to happen as yeah. well. Or there's potential for the next bad thing to happen. It's like one bad thing isn't enough. It also sets you up for another bad thing. How about a good thing? Maybe that would, you know start a, a chain of good things happening for this program fingers crossed uh it'll be exciting to watch this summer leafs in florida tonight 
because all Toronto teams apparently have to go to Florida, except for the Raptors. Um, but they're in Florida, in Sunrise, Florida, to play the Panthers tonight. Panthers, big game for them, as they're one point back of the Penguins for that final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And, of course, do not control their first-round pick. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens do. Uh, interesting note for the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Morgan Riley not in the lineup for rest purposes, which we get. Like, with the Leafs have been doing this... Each of the last three games now is T.J. Brody got it last game, and then before him on the weekend it was Mark Giordano and and Riley. Woo, I, I I thought maybe it would be Tavares before Riley, but Riley gets the rest tonight. Man, the take machines are gearing up. They're oiling up the take machines, Blake, for the Leafs to have their best <laughs> defensive performance of the season because remember in December with Riley out basically for the whole month, that was the best defensive hockey we've seen this Leafs team play, and there's numbers to back up. And Riley's, you know, lackluster. He's never going to be the the most stout defender. You, but the the positives on the offensive side obviously outweigh the negatives on the defensive side. But haven't seen as many positives offensively for Riley this year. This is going to be a real interesting sixty minutes to watch against a desperate Panthers team with seven defensemen and none of them Morgan Riley. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm very curious what seven without Riley looks like. I don't think it's going to tell us much because. We're not going to see this in the playoffs. If anything, I'm curious about how uh, it looks on the power play, at least in terms of, you know, how they deploy it and what Gustafson Gustafson looks like on PP1. Um, But I don't don't think we're going to learn a lot. Like, I I think the obvious thing is they'll have a good defensive game and people piece that together. But it's not like... Gustafson is a defensive upgrade on, on Riley. No, really, right? he's, he's, the, he's, he's like a lesser Riley. Yeah, he's a Riley caddy uh, for right now. He's a good player. I'm just saying his role for this team in the playoffs is uh, in case something happens with Riley and you need another power play option. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I I would be very curious to see a little morbidly what a, a Shen Geo or Shen Gustafson pairing would look like if those get touched on a little bit. Um, Matt, I don't know. Matt Murray starts tonight. Joe and, Wall up. Yes. Ilya Samsonov, obviously away from the team as he awaits the, the birth of a child. Uh, and uh, he'll return at some point this season, obviously. Uh, not an injury situation for him. Sam Lafferty also apparently on baby watch, so I don't know. But much. he's in the lineup. Okay, so he's in the lineup, but yeah, he's on baby watch. Um, you know, I, I, listen, I, I understand why Matt Murray is is even in the conversation to maybe start game one over Ilya Samsonov outside of the numbers, and it's the two Stanley Cup rings, but... I think there is a legitimate argument if you were just taking the uh, the off-ice things out of it and you just talked about, hey, who gives you the best chance to win a hockey game? Wouldn't it be kind of interesting to see Matt Murray and Joseph Wall split some games here down the stretch? I mean, what Joseph Wall has done in the AHL this season and some of the things you see written about what he's undergone as far as a mental transformation this year, like there's a really good possibility that Joseph Wall is a better goalie in 2023 than Matt Murray. It's possible. I don't think we're going to see it. Like, like there are not enough games left for them to get Joe wall into enough games that he would be on the playoff roster over a Matt Murray. Like, I, I just don't think, I think we're at a time for that. I think it's great that he's had such a strong AHL season. Look good when he's come up to the NHL level in case something happens down the stretch here and he ends up the backup in a playoff game. But um, I think short of, you know, if Samsonov's away through the weekend and wall gets one of those games in a back-to-back, like I, I think we're just at a time for it. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Um, lastly, before we go, and this will probably be resumed or resolved uh, before tomorrow's show. 
Dallas Mavericks protesting oh my God. calling Losers. yesterday's game, the loss to the Golden State Warriors, and now all of a sudden the Mavs. I mean, not all of a sudden, because everybody in the Western Conference is battling for their play-in lives, and the Mavs are right there after acquiring Kyrie, who didn't play in yesterday's game. But there's a play in the third quarter where they thought they were inbounding, and it was the Warriors that were inbounding, and the referees allowed the Warriors to inbound, despite the fact that no Mavericks player was on the, that side of the court, and they got an easy bucket, and they, they lose a one-possession game. It was only one possession because there was a three hit at the buzzer, a meaningless three but yeah, that's I. So I'm of two minds. One is that it didn't impact the game, and you got to get over it. But that was a pretty strange thing for an a, officials group to do, considering some of the conversation around NBA officials this season. Yeah, they missed it. But five times in the history of the NBA has a protest actually worked and part of a game been replayed. And if you lose a close-ish game and you're pointing to a play in the third quarter that swung things and you couldn't recover from, like get a get a grip. This is uh, if something happens on like the final play of the game. Yeah. Sure. If something happens like happened in, I think, 2008 with Shaq, where they accident, they they mistakenly fouled him out of the game yeah. and you didn't have your best player for the last couple of minutes. Sure. But this is loser behavior yeah. uh, to protest about a call in the third quarter. You know, you can't control. And this is why I don't love talking about the refs because there are a million things you can control or try to control over the course of the game. The refs aren't one of them. The best way to make sure that a bad call can't impact you to the level of you need to protest the game is just to play better so that you're not down. Like the Warriors have won like one game on the road this year. Yep. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe beat that team. Maybe not have it be a one-possession game with uh, an MVP candidate and Luka Doncic. All right, time now for Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game, and uh, Leafs underdogs in Florida, again, against a, a Panthers team that is desperate to make the playoffs. Panthers minus 129, Leafs plus 110. We got Sweet 16 action on the go right now. Kansas State leading Michigan State 18-17, and uh, our one-point favorites the uh, Wildcats are Arkansas, Yukon, Yukon, three and a half point favorites, Tennessee, five point favorites against Florida Atlantic. Uh, UCLA is a one point favorite against Gonzaga tonight. And that was last call brought to you by bet rivers. It's a whole new game. I think I'm going to have myself some garlic bread tonight. How about you? There you go. Uh, no, I think I have leftovers. I'm just going to eat. Sorry, man. Okay. Right. Can't play Fine. into the bit. Okay. Okay. Good to lie. Truth in journalism. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.